Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Well, we've been studying the book of Revelation, and I've got to tell you something today. Today we're talking about the culmination of, of where everything is going on the earth. As we're looking at the book of Revelation, we've got this week and then next week, we're going to be wrapping it up. It's been a long series, but I really, first off, couple of things. I really felt that the Holy Spirit was leading me to share about the book of Revelation because if you don't know where we're going, nothing along the way makes sense. Not even the struggles that we're facing every day. You have to know where God is going on the earth. And I, I also believe that it's so important that the, to receive the blessing of the book of Revelation. For those who read it, it's written right in there. For those who read it and pursue the understanding of it, there's a blessing that comes upon your life. I also believe it's incumbent upon me as a pastor to equip the saints for whatever season is coming to the earth. I, I truly believe in the bottom of my heart we're living in the last days. I believe that the order of events on the earth the technology, the ability for one world religion, uh, it's really going there as far as where the one world church is going. There's some movements towards that. We looked at that. One world government, the ability to control commerce, to buy or sell or anything like that. All of the technology is already available for this one is called the Antichrist who during a seven-year period upon the earth, when he tries to take global control, to usurp what actually belongs for Jesus. Christ means Messiah. The Antichrist is the anti-Messiah. He wants to take the nations and control them as his own. But I want you to know that God loves nations. And the Bible says he actually sets the boundary of nations. It is not wrong to love a nation. It's not wrong to love your nation. It's not wrong to be patriotic. Because God has established the boundaries and the time of a nation's existence. God is actually going to, even at the very end, when the world becomes perfect, there will still be nations, which is kind of hard for us to believe and to understand that fully. I want to just preface everything that I say today with the understanding that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves every human being that walks the earth and who has ever walked the earth. It is the mercy of God and the grace of God that delays the coming of Christ right now. The only reason he hasn't come back, I believe, is because until that last person who God in his foreknowledge knows will come into the kingdom, believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, until that individual steps in. It's the mercy and the love of God. Now, some people might look at what we're talking about today with the judgment, the, the great white throne judgment where all the, judge, the dead are judged before God, also talking about the lake of fire where, yes, there will be people cast. Now, the, God did not make the lake of fire for people. The Bible is very specific. He made it for the devil and his angels. I want us to know today, God did not make hell for people. But the truth is this, is that you got to be careful who you follow on this life and who you make your God because you will spend eternity with whoever your God is. And the judge of all the earth is the one who's going to order that. I want us to be mindful of that today. I know that for some people it's a real crisis of faith for them even to be thinking about how could God make such a place. But I want us to look at it today in the eyes of the Lord. And also I want to say this, even though we might not understand all things, the story about the message of Jesus, which elevates him above every other person. No one would even presume 
to declare what the Bible, the scriptures, had declared. The Bible touches every facet of our life. From the fall of man, the reasons of war is pain, suffering, the agony of life, why there, why there is sin amongst humanity, but also the journey and the way to come into to eternal life and to know God personally. God deals with things about the importance of the family, the importance of our language being uniform, the importance of the role of the father, the role of the mother, the role of children. There is nothing that the Bible doesn't touch. So as we're looking today, we're realizing that the Lord is saying there's coming a day because of the invitation of Adam and Eve of disobeying God, the lengths to which God has to go in order to wrap everything up. What we don't realize is that everything is going to, be have, is going to have to be pur purged. Everything that came out of the rebellion when the first man and the first woman were tempted to believe that if they could just make a decision contrary to what God wished, that they then could become their own God. What the book of Revelation realize, helps us to realize is that no man can determine his eternal destiny that belongs in the hand of God. So I hope today we have so much information to cover that I don't want to lose anybody. But as I'm talking fast, just listen fast. It'll be, it'll be on the website this week if you miss anything. And let's start reading in our Bible, the Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Today is the kind of, if you receive the understanding today, I'm talking about receive it in your heart. You will never be the same again. It will reestablish your priorities, my priorities, and what we truly value and what we're going to live for. You might say to me, Jim, the world is already in chaos and a lot of trouble. Why would you bring up the chaos of the future? Why would you add insult to injury? Because the truth is this, is if you understand where Christ is going on this earth, you will experience the peace of God, the power of God, and you will be able then to structure and prioritize your, your life to enter into God's purpose. So Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And I ask Heavenly Father that you would lead me by the Holy Spirit today to share this word. Father, let it penetrate our hearts. Thank you, Lord. I pray that it would adjust our thinking and in the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. There is a judgment seat, a great judgment at the, end of, at the end of things as we're looking at the book of Revelation. Now we understand that time in the earth will go on for very long, but we're talking about the end of God wrapping up every bit of evil and wickedness that's in the hearts of humanity, that's in heaven and hell and upon the earth. There's a great white throne judgment where every person who has died will stand before God. 
And in this judgment, we're finding out that the Lord is saying that all of heaven and earth is going to flee at this moment. In other words, any corruption in heaven, in the heavens or on the earth will not be able to stand within this, during this time of judgment and the piercing eyes of the one who sits upon the throne. Now, we're looking at the book of Revelation. Let me wrap it up with this. Do you understand that there are four judgments in the book of Revelation? And that's what this whole book is about. The first judgment that we find out that unfolds happens after those who believe in Jesus Christ. In the past, all the men and women of faith from all the past back to Adam and Eve, all of them will be caught up in a, in a rapture, in a resurrection of the dead. But it's not the resurrection of the wicked, it's the resurrection of those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The resurrection of those whose names are written in the book of life. There'll be a great reservation, uh, resurrection and then there will be the first judgment. And that is called the judgment seat of Christ. It happens while seven years of trouble are happening here upon the earth and the Antichrist has risen to power. The church is caught up to be with Jesus. But before the marriage supper of the Lamb, before the bride of Christ, the followers of Christ are ready to enter into that marriage union with Jesus, they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there they will be judged according to their works. Not about, they will not be judged about whether they're getting into heaven or not because these are the ones that have been taken up from the earth who have the seal of the Holy Spirit. When you stand before Jesus, he will know that you are saved, but everyone will be tried according to their works. And the Apostle Paul talked about that. Some believers in this life will build with gold, silver, precious stones, but some will build with wood, hay, and stubble. The Bible says that when the believer stands before the judgment seat of Christ, that the fire of judgment from Jesus will come upon them. It'll be a fire of judgment. Gold, silver, and precious stones will be able to survive that fire. You will take those into eternity, those works that were truly righteous in motivation. And then we find out that some of them actually, like gold, will be refined in fire. So is silver. Precious stones survive the fire. They're not refined by it, but they can make it through the fire. That's where Jesus said that whatever you do in this life, if you have five talents, you will end up that you will receive even 10 talents. In other words, your gold, your, your good works that were righteous and pure before the Lord will even be multiplied in the fire. They will be refined. But the Lord says if you um, built this life with wood, hay, and stubble, the fire will come, it will consume your good works, you will have nothing to present to Jesus, but the Bible says you'll still be saved, you'll be saved by fire. That's where that expression comes from. So that's the first judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. The second one we realize is the judgment of the nation of Israel. You said, when does that happen? That's what's going on during the seven years of trouble. It's, see, here's the thing. God's gotta remove um, judgment and wickedness, every evidence of it, everywhere in the universe. First, he removes it from the church, the judgment seat of Christ. Then he removes it from the rebellion of the nation of Israel when they had sinned against God. The seven-year tribulation period is God bringing the nations, and it's a form of judgment that is coming upon the nation of Israel as, as a form of, 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 of restitution, of making all things right. 
And that's what's going on during the seven years of trouble. Then there's the judgment of the nations. Jesus talked about that. There'll be some sheep nations and goat nations. As I just mentioned, during the seven-year tribulation period coming to the earth, the nations are going to gather together in the nation of Israel. And how the nations during the seven years of trouble treat the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nations will be judged for that. At the very beginning, God said to Abraham, those who bless your descendants, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, we find out that the Lord Jesus said, the nations are gonna stand before a judgment, and the nations that are sheep nations will be judged, and they will be able to enter into eternity. There will be nations that will last, and the nations that mistreated the people of God, the Jewish nations, will be separated from them and they will be destroyed. They will no longer be able to have a heritage. Listen to me, God is in nations. Now you just say to us, how is Jesus gonna judge nations? And this is exactly what he said. He said, to the nations that were the good nations, he said, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was in prison, you came and you visited me. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, when did we do these things for you? And he said, in the way that you did it to the least of these, my brothers, my Jewish brothers, you did it to me. Nations will be judged by the way they treat the nation of Israel. That's why you and I have to ask ourselves, how come after all these millennia, Jews still suffer and they, they're targeted for destruction? It is happening because the enemy of the Jews, which is a wickedness, an infection, a disease in humanity, to destroy the promise of God given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that must be judged. God will remove anti-Semitism from the earth because it comes against the promises of God. And so then some of the nations will say, Jesus, when did we not feed you? When did we not clothe you? When did, and Jesus says, because you didn't do this, this for the least of my brothers, you didn't do it for me. So first, judgment seat of Christ, which is the church, judgment of the nation of Israel, then the judgment of all the nations, and then finally here's the great white throne judgment. Now, if you understand this, that there's a great resurrection that's going to happen. The Bible says, with the passage we just read, that they will come up out of um, the, the, the grave or death, but that word is actually grave. This is the people that are going to stand before the great white throne judgment that will come out of the grave and will come out of Hades. What are those two places? When a man dies, his, his person, if you would, goes to two places. His body is placed in the grave. His soul, the Bible teaches us, goes to Hades, the underworld. There's coming a resurrection at the end of all times. Now, the believers in Christ have already been resurrected. This is a resurrected of those who have been dead from the very beginning, who have rebelled against God and not believed in him, that didn't fear the Lord. There will be an emptying, so it's an emptying of the grave. In other words, it's going to be a bodily resurrection, but it's also going to be a resurrection of their soul, the consciousness of their existence. Right now, if anyone has died and they don't know the Lord, their soul is separate from their body. Their body sleeps, but there is a consciousness. Jesus talked about that. If you remember the story of Lazarus, a very rich man who wouldn't take care of the beggar at his gate. 
and they found themselves in that place called Hades. Their body was dead, but there was a consciousness in the underworld waiting for the resurrection. This is just really, see, it's all the points of, of the destiny of every man and woman is revealed in the scriptures. So when we realize that the, those who believed in the Lord have already been resurrected, this great resurrection before the great white throne judgment will almost to a person be those who didn't trust in the Lord, who didn't believe in God. There are going to be a few, and I don't want to confuse and muddy the waters with this, but this is happening after the millennial reign of Christ. During the thousand-year millennial reign, there will be people being born, and there will be some who actually die. The Bible actually says that if a person dies at 100 years old, they'll say, oh, he was such a baby, because it's a, it's a greater world at that point. So they will be resurrected with all those who didn't believe in God from the very beginning. And then they will be judged according to whether their name is written in the book of life. Almost all these people will not have their name in the book of life. And the ones who will have their name in the book of life will be those who were born during the millennial reign of Christ. Are you all still with me on that? Okay. Good, so we're seeing this resurrection. So let's ask ourselves the question, who is the one that's seated upon the throne before, before whom all the heavens and the earth are fleeing? They're running away from. In other words, they're under that judgment. Well, let's read what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, the Son of God, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed." For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also will give life to them whom he wishes. Now let me explain that. What is Jesus saying about himself? He says, this is who I am. It's not bragging. So I am. Everything I see God doing, I have done. Everything. I haven't done anything that the Father didn't tell me to do. I don't say anything unless I hear the Father saying it. And everything I've said, the Father has said. In other words, he is letting us know that God became flesh and walked this earth in perfection that we could not find. Because he walked in that perfection, he was able then to be promoted by God. He was promoted to the point where he is actually then rules and reigns as a judge. He has the right to judge every man and woman. Why? Because he did life perfectly. And the Bible says because that perfect one was obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross, God gave him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So people might say, oh, but there are many names of people that you can follow. Well, there might be many names, but the Bible reveals to us that the one who's sitting on the throne will be Jesus Christ himself. So you might say, well, I'm putting my hope here and I'm putting my hope there. I'm finding, you know, other paths and other journeys. But the Lord is letting us know in the scriptures, know this, 
that it is Jesus Christ himself is seated upon the throne of God. He, Jesus said the Father raises the dead and gives them life. So at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, this great resurrection is going to happen, and Jesus is saying it's going to be the Father that is bringing the resurrection back to life, and the Son will give life to those who he wishes. And what is he talking about there? He's that Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Now here's what it says, Jesus says further. For not even the Father judges anyone. If you think about the structure of all of this, what if God, who is not man, were to judge us? Then man could say, well, of course, you're God, sorry, I couldn't be God like you. But the truth of the matter is, is that the Bible says right here, even the Father will not judge men. Why? Because God became flesh and he became a man so that when the man judges man, it is a righteous system. It has to be. Do you see how God like connects everything in this passage? So that, all will honor the, so that all will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. God has given all judgment to the Son. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I'm going to get in my own way. That was exactly what Eve said. I'm going to live my own way. I'm going to figure out this whole spirituality thing on my own. But the Bible just says, you know, we might even be people who say, well... I, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. And listen, the Bible is very specific and clear that Jesus is God in flesh. We're going to look at how this all wraps up and how this connects as we unfold this. So the Bible says that every man will be raised before the great white throne judgment and they'll be a judge according to the books and then according to whether their name is in the book of life. If their name is not in the book of life, the Bible says their destiny is the lake of fire. Now, you ask yourself this question. Listen, I have people that are very close to me who struggle with this issue, and it keeps them from faith. But the bottom line is this. A cruel God would allow things to continue as they are forever and ever. Evil must be purged. Whether it's in the heavens or on the earth or in the heart of an individual. I don't know if I should share this. Someone shared this example with me this week. They were a person that asked to protect the safety of airplanes, and they said they were trained that if someone grabs a stewardess and they grab that stewardess and they hold them and threaten the entire plane, that the marshal there to protect the plane is instructed to get rid of the hijacker. And it puts that steward, that a flight attendant in great jeopardy. But in the moment, that person's mind must be fixed on the idea. If evil is not rooted out of this plane, many, 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 many are going to die. And I, I, the system, I, I don't know if I'm losing you in all this. I wouldn't plan on sharing that. But the truth of the matter is, is that we look at certain destinies of humanity and what's happening, and we just say, why, God? Why, 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 why? In that situation, why did that flight attendant end up being a victim for the sake of the safety of the plane? And if we look at the fact that Christ came to the earth 
to be the one who stood between us and the enemy, put himself in the place of jeopardy for the sake of the salvation of the entire plane. And that one who died for all of us, who's the one who stood in the path, it helps us to understand this, the lengths that God went in order to redeem fallen man. The priority of our lives is to see the salvation of the Lord upon the earth. It's, I want to get to the passage where the Bible just says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible teaches us this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth. You hear it? Judgment of the heavens, judgment of the earth, judgment of the things that are under the earth. This is what's happening at the great white throne judgment. And as we look at that passage, the Bible's just saying, that without the, the Lord is not willing that any of these people should perish and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord of the glory of God the Father. When is every knee going to bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord of the glory of God the Father? This will happen before the great white throne judgment. And, I, you know, I always used to picture it like, be like this, that when humanity stands before God, God's going to, like, stick his hand on his head and say, bow, bow, you, bow, 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 bow. Every knee's going to bow, and this God's going to force him to bow. But that's not what it's going to be. Even at the great white throne judgment, even at every judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of the nation of Israel, the judgment of the nations, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, he is exactly who he said he is. And here's what bowing your knee before him, it will be expression of saying you are who you said you are. And in eternity, I don't care where people spend eternity, every voice will say God was fair to me and God was just. And if you're worried about that, you need to know God will be fair, God will be just, and every human being will know it. And this is such an important reminder in all of this because God even has, we have the millennial reign of Christ where it says that Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to rule for a 1,000 years. Now, you just say to me, but why would Christ rule with a rod of iron? Because you have to realize is that not everybody's perfect yet. Christ is going to make sure during that 1,000 years that any rebellion or anything that would want to... Now, Satan is bound. You understand that. So the engine that caused people to sin is going to be stalled for a 1,000 years. But still, the potential to do the wrong thing will be inside the hearts of humans. We also know that that's true of every human being because at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released and he'll tempt the world. So you're thinking about that. It's a wonderful world, the millennial reign of Christ, but it's still not perfect. There's still corruption in the heavens and in the earth, and the potential is still in the hearts of men. And as we're looking at this passage right here, that when God then is taking care of the wickedness that is in the human heart, what's going on in the earth during that time? While the great white throne judgment is happening in heaven, the earth is being tried with fire in the heavens. 
We can find this throughout the scriptures. Here's what it says in 2120 of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. There'll be no longer any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. We're finding out in the scriptures here that the heavens, which is the entire universe, and the earth will someday be purified with the fire of God because the rebellion of man, not only did it get into the hearts of man, it got into nature, it got into the elements. What did Jesus say to Adam after he had sinned? He told him, your curse is gonna be is that there are gonna be thorns and thistles that are gonna grow up next to your plants and you're gonna have to labor because thorns and thistles were not the intention of God. It was the corruption of the plant world that happened that caused man to have to strive in order to be able to make a living. There's a corruption in the plants. There's a corruption in the insects. There's a corruption in the animals where the Bible says the wolf is the the enemy of the lamb and yet when Christ comes, they're going to be friends again. God cares. Jesus said the, that, that the Father cares about a sparrow. He calls, he, it matters to him whether a sparrow falls. Do we understand even the violence in the plant world, the animal world, and in all of nature? The corruption has got to be burned out. It's astounding to me. And God's going to do this with fire. As you think about all of this, you know, think about what Jesus said, your journey is when God is taking you from a a person that's marked with sin and bringing you into the righteousness of Christ. The Bible talks about there's two baptisms. Didn't John the Baptist say this, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When you come to Christ, The Bible says this is the process. It's a two-baptism. The first baptism is your baptism in water. When you gave your heart to Jesus, you were baptized in water like Jesus was baptized. But then it also says that John the Baptist only baptized in water, but Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I love the fact that you can see the, the theme repeated over and over again. In order for you to be saved, You you were baptized in water, but you were also baptized in fire. You were marked with the Holy Spirit. In order for the universe to be saved, it will be baptized with a water. You remember what happened at the flood, but also it's then going to be baptized in the fire of God. So we're looking at this passage. The earth is going to go through the same process that every believer goes through in order for God to be able to redeem it. Now let's think about the baptism of water, one of those that had happened. And if you watch this week, you're going to find out that it's very likely that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that it says the world was in chaos and it was void and a darkness covered the earth. And one of the things that God did is he separated the waters. Actually, people believe that when Satan fell, the chaos that came to the earth that we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 was a water chaos. 
The second water chaos or immersion was the flood. And that after the flood, God gave the rainbow in the sky and says, this kind of baptism is never going to happen to the earth again. But if you think about the first baptism of what happened, the first baptism of the flood, before the flood happened, people lived. The Lord gave us the length of life that a person lived, and he tells us it was a 1,000 years. Then the flood happened, and it says that concerning the flood, the foundations of the deep burst open. The crust of the earth actually was altered. When the flood happened during the time of Noah, we find out that by before then, the water was the, I'm sorry, the earth was watered with the dew in the morning. But then the water that was below the surface of the earth broke up through the surface of the earth. That's why we have mountains, but that's also why we, the whole climate changed at, at the flood during the time of Noah. When the climate changed and the earth was no longer watered by a dew that fell during the day, it, we understand that was the releasing of storms. So because of the fall of man and the result of our rebellion, not only was the earth changed that people, it couldn't sustain life like it used to. Man didn't live a thousand years. After that, the Bible tells, tells us how long people live and they live a hundred years. The earth's ability to sustain had been lost. We also find out that that was the introduction of storms. So you ask yourself, what, you know, what if God created the new heavens and a new earth, but there were still storms upon the earth? Well, the storms were the result of the fall of man, and they were the result of the flood. And that's what created the hurricanes. There's not going to be hurricanes. There's not going to be lightning storms. There's not going to be fire bolts, lightning bolts coming out of heaven. Everything is going to be made new. All corruption is going to actually be burned out. So at the great white throne judgment, the corruption in all mankind will be dealt with once and for all. At the same time, all of the corruption that's in creation is going to once and for all be put down. So man will, during that time, we find out that, that, that man in his eternal existence will find a planet that can sustain his life. So as we look a little bit further here, he, the, that John saw in his revelation, a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Now let me just describe that for you. It's very brief in John's description, but the apostle Peter goes further. It talks about the heavens and the earth passing away. But if you look at the original language there, it means to pass from one form into another form. So when a fire is going to test the universe and is going to test the planet Earth, it's going to cause it to be in one condition of the effects of the corruption, and it will be brought into the perfection that God always intended. So we have to turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3 and find out what Peter said about this. Now listen as I read this, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting to read in verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. That's why you don't want to enter into those who are saying, oh, they've been saying Jesus is coming back for a long time. The Bible says that's going to be the attitude before the return of Christ. Verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at first time was destroyed by being flooded with water. 
but by his word, the present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of godly people. Here you have the apostle Peter saying that when God causes the judgment of fire to come upon the earth and upon the heavens, it will be at the same time that judgment is going to be happening in heaven before the great white throne judgment. And it says that judgment will be upon the earth and upon the heavens. Now, the word for earth there, follow me, is not the planet. The earth, word for earth there is actually the cosmos, in other words, the world. In other words, the part of, of the earth that was affected by mankind. So we don't actually have the right or the biblical ability to believe that when fire comes to the earth, it's just going to go poof into a puff of smoke and disappear, and God's going to make a whole new one. No, the earth that you and I are on right now is going to exist. It's going to exist for a very long time. As a matter of fact, the earth will someday be the center of what God is doing in the entire universe. Did you all read the articles this week about Everyone's talking about how the expansion of the universe is happening suddenly at an alarming rate. Have you been reading that? Like they, they said, we don't understand why it's happening, but with our telescopes, we're seeing that suddenly the universe is expanding. It just helps you to understand that things cannot continue to go as they have been going. And God's going to bring all that into his perfection. So it says, but, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away to pass from one condition into another. With a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be discovered. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So, you know, if we're going to take one thing and say, okay, God, how do I apply all this to my life? The Lord is saying this. If everything in your life will someday melt, what kind of person should you be? And what things should you live for? The Apostle Paul said, the things that you can see are temporal, the things that you cannot see are the things that are eternal. I can't see God, I can't see Jesus right now, I can't see the Holy Spirit. I can see his activity, but I can't see him. I can't see love, like, again, I can see its activity, but I can't, the, the Lord is just saying to us, Everything that you can hold in your hands, the chair that you're sitting in right now, when you drive home today, everything that you look at and you say, oh, I'm so glad I finally have that, or you're looking at it and saying, My, I wish I had a new one. The Lord is just saying, what kind of person should you and I be knowing that everything in the heavens and on the earth are just going to be burned up with fire, and the things that we should live for are the things that are important to God? Didn't the Lord say in the book to the church of Laodicea at the beginning of Revelation, you say to me that you are rich, but I'm telling you, you're poor. Buy from me the gold refined in the fire. In other words, don't put your value in earthly gold, but put your value in the things that God says are valuable. So when the Apostle Peter's talking to us, since all things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy, contact, in holy conduct and godliness? So that, you know, some people will make a choice whether to obey God or whether they can hold on to their house. 
And the Lord would just say to us, what? What should your conduct be? Because someday, living for the Lord, will, everything will be rewarded. Everything you do for Christ will be judged. And at that point, you're going to say, why did I decide not to obey the Lord just to hold on to something that's temporal? It won't be worth it. But he says to us, we should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it's so amazing to me. Do you know that from the very beginning, as God made the heavens and the earth, since the fall of Adam and Eve, God is bringing us back to a place that is going to be absolutely perfect. It is not the millennial reign of Christ. That is not perfect. It's wonderful, but it's not perfect. Ultimately, when we read in the scriptures, it says this about Jesus Christ. He was the first fruit that rose from the dead, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is clear that this excludes the Father who put all things in subjection unto him, 1 Corinthians 15. Can I explain that to you? Because you might be asking, do you ever wonder about how did Jesus come and if he's God, how did Jesus in the Garden of Eden pray to God in heaven? Like, doesn't that suggest there's two separate beings? How could Jesus be God praying to God the Father who was in heaven? But when we understand what the Bible is teaching us here, it unwraps it perfectly for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let us make man in our image. At that point, at that point, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, or God, body, soul, and spirit decided among us, the three of us, so there's only one God, one of us will become flesh, one person of the Godhead. And at that point, Jesus Christ himself separated himself from that identity with the Father who was omnipotent and omniscient and knew all things. And, and Jesus says, I'm going to come to the earth and live as an limited expression to God the Father. In that limited expression, you could never kill God the Father. He doesn't even have a body. But mankind could kill God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In order for all things to be redeemed, God made man in his own image, gave man a choice, and man rebelled against God. And by that, we release the corruption in both heavens and the earth, under the earth, and in the hearts of all humanity. But the Bible, what we just read there, is that Christ is going to rule. Christ will continue to work upon the earth until every power and authority is brought into subjection to him. Ultimately, that's going to happen when death and Hades and the grave are emptied out. Corruption, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan himself are cast into the lake of fire. And everyone has refused Jesus will be cast into the lake of fire. Everything will be brought into subjection to Christ. And then it's this astounding verse. I can't get my brain around sometimes. Is that it says that when all of that finally happens, Jesus will take everything that he brought into subjection to himself and he'll present that before the Father so that God might be all and in all. 
In other words, God the Father never gave up his role as the Father. Jesus the Son still carries the marks of the cross in his hand. And when finally the earth and the heavens and all rebellion against God is dealt with once and for all, Jesus will take the inheritance of the universe and of the earth and he'll present that before the Father. And then the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come into the fullness of the expression of the divine. Do I understand what that's gonna look like? Absolutely not. But this is what it's talking about is gonna happen at the great white throne judgment. At the same time, the heavens and earth are destroyed, and then Jesus says, and we read it already, we're going to see, John saw the new Jerusalem. Once the earth is purified in the heavens, then what comes out of heaven is the new Jerusalem. What is this place? This is the place that Jesus talked about. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And it says that, that this Jerusalem coming down out of heaven is the bride of Christ. You say, wait a minute. We studied a few weeks ago that the church was married to Christ. How can Jerusalem be the bride of Christ? Christ wasn't married to a city. This is the dwelling place of the bride. He's married to the people dwelling in that place. And the Bible says the gold of which it's constructed is so clear that it's a crystal clear city. Streets are paved with gold. The foundations of the city are many stones. And here's where we get the expression of the pearly gates. The pearly gates are not heaven. The pearly gates are the new Jerusalem, the, the dwelling place of the believers. And then we find out that even, I told you, some nations are going to survive. There are going to be some nations that are allowed to be living upon the earth and expressing themselves as nations. And they're going to bring the wealth of the world to the glory of the new Jerusalem. It's, it's beyond human imagination here of where Christ is going with all of this. And I know that we could spend hours and hours upon all this, but let me just, let me just say... You as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, the most important decision that you can make today, whether you can get your brain around a lake of fire and judgment and all those kind of things, I hope that today that you will come to the understanding that Jesus Christ is everything that he said he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're all gonna stand before him. And the truth, I just would ask you one question. Are, can you survive the judgment of God? Are you right with the one who made you? Are you right with the one who became flesh like you and me and he died for our sins? Are you ready to meet the Lord? That, when all is said and done, Jesus is the only thing that matters in this life. He's the one to live for. He's the one to spend for. He's the one to love. He's the one to worship. Jesus Christ is everything. If, if there's one thing that we can learn right now when, you know, they're talking monkeypox next and economies crashing and global prices falling and food shortages and, and everything else, there's only one thing that can keep the peace of God inside your heart. Are you right with God? That's what matters today. I'd encourage everyone that's here today or anyone that's watching online, if you're here and you never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, know that the one who died for you is the one before whom you will stand and you will give an account. And I want to ask you today, is your name written in the book of life today? Is your name there? When that book is open, will I hear Jim Tarr? 
Will you hear whatever your name is? Man, at that moment, you're going to say, man, I am so glad I live for the Lord. I'm so glad I, I knew him. But not only do you not face judgment, but that new Jerusalem says they measured it. It's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, and 1,500 miles tall. Not like a cube, probably more like a pyramid. It's got an amazing wall that's, that's all around it. And it will be lit with the light of the glory of Jesus Christ himself. It doesn't say there will be no sun or moon. It says, but it won't need the sun and the moon because the light of the Lamb of God will light the entire city. And in that city, there'll be neither day nor night. It'll be the glory of the Lord. And you know what? The Bible teaches us we're going to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's how much God loves us. Everything that Jesus got, he got for us. And we're going to live for him for all eternity. Can you say amen? Let's all stand up. Let me close in prayer today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just, I want to ask you one simple question. My, my goal is not to get you to sign up into membership. It's not, you know, to get you to put your name on some role here. It's my, my job is to help lead people to get their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life to where they know the Lord. The one who died for us is the one whom we will stand before. If you never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he paid all the price and the punishment for our sins and the penalty for our sins. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. And if you think about that, the Lord phrased it that way because the, this could be the last day. Today's the day to get right with God. If you've never met Jesus as your Savior and you want to receive him into your heart, to have a new name, your name, written in the glory of heaven, you can do that today. If you say, Pastor Jim, I want to meet the Lord, I'm going to ask you to do two things. It's not a formula. I just want to help you get there. You just lift up your hand just saying, Pastor Jim, I want to pray to receive Jesus as my Savior today. And then I'm going to invite you to do the second thing I'm going to after we pray together, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Just to stand here in the front, you don't have to say anything or do anything, but the Lord said if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father. I'll just ask very simply, it won't take long, do you need Jesus today? And if you want him, would you lift up your hand so I can see it? Just saying I'm lifting my hand to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior today. Anyone here today? God, you are so faithful and so good. I pray that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth, even as the waters cover the sea. And I pray, God, that you would drop a great dragnet, a, a dragnet that would go over the face of the earth and bring in those who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We pray for our loved ones and our friends and our family members, oh God, and we just pray that the revelation of Jesus would come to their heart that, Lord God, you'd make yourself known to them. I pray, Father, that you would raise us up to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord Jesus, because none of us deserved heaven, and yet Christ came and he paid the price for our salvation, and we thank you for it, Lord. I pray that you would bless every person that's here today, Father, and I pray, Lord, that your wisdom would make up for anything lacking that I didn't share, and I pray, Father God, that you would cause the joy of the Lord and of your salvation to be in each heart. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. God bless you. We're going to have folks here in the front. If you need prayer today for anything, please come forward. Let us pray for you. God bless you all. I hope you enjoy your Memorial Day weekend and you have a great day today. Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.